Welcome. We are so glad you've joined us today. Are you ready for another Bayside Christian Church podcast? Let's get straight into it. I was listening to the cricket the other day and they were telling pirate jokes. Who likes pirate jokes? Who wants to hear a pirate joke? How much, how much does it cost a pirate to get his ear pierced? A buccaneer. That's exactly right. There's a few other pirates in the place today. A couple in the front row here. I listened to a uh, story recently by Chuck Swindle, and he tells some, uh, Pastor in America tells some great stories. He was telling this story about some soldiers, American soldiers in World War II. And uh, they, would, they had been fighting and they just lost one of their mates uh, in, in battle and he died. And so they were carrying him and it was late in the day, nearly dark, and they wanted to bury him somewhere. And they uh, came along and they found a church and it was a Catholic church they found with the cemetery. And I thought, let's take him there and we'll bury him there. And they knock on the door and the priest answers, how, how are you going, how can I help you? He says, oh... Our mates died. Can we bury him here? And he says, um, "He says, are, are you Catholic?" And he said, oh, "No, we're not Catholic." He said, "Well, I'm sorry, but you can't bury him in uh, our cemetery." And so reluctantly, they walked away, sad. And so they walked on the outside of the fence, and they buried him um, out just outside the perimeter of the cemetery fence, and buried their mate. And uh, then they walked off, found a place to sleep for the night, and uh, and basically. Uh, stayed there. In the morning they got up and before they had to move on, they, uh, they said, let's go see our mate one more time. And they went back there uh, to, the, to the place and they couldn't find him. And they couldn't find the spot where uh, he was buried. And they were uh, looking around confused, going, where, where, where's he gone? Where did, what happened? And, that, and our mate's gone. And so uh, they went and knocked on the priest's door again. And, uh, and they, he comes to the door looking a bit tired dirt on his clothes and and looking a bit disheveled or whatever and and they said um hi um it's us again we we um buried our uh, mate just outside uh your fence and uh we're just wondering what happened when he goes and wh- where he is or what's what's going on and and he goes well he said after you left last night i uh you know for the first half of the night i felt so bad at what i said to you that i you know you couldn't bury him in the cemetery, and he said, for the second half of the night, I spent the night moving the fence. And so, and this morning, I've entitled this message, Move the Fence. Move the Fence. You know, uh, in our human sinful nature, we uh, try and often separate or divide, find ways to separate and divide people or groups of people in many different ways and, and cause disunity, you know, and, and human nature, sinful nature tends to find different excuses to do that or ways to do that, some that aren't a great excuse or way at all. And uh, some of those ways are religious teaching or, or ways created by men or teaching created by men kind of like the protestant catholic type of thing that was going on there and if you if you weren't that well i couldn't do it and suddenly the priest has realized well hang on a minute what i mean it's in the middle of a war it's middle of what, what am i thinking what am i doing and and so that can separate rich and poor people find you know i've i've gone rich or you're poor so we we just can't hang out together i just don't want to really hang around you or for vice versa poor don't want to hang out with rich for something like that Color of your skin, where you're born, 
You know, that can be, you can be born on the wrong side of town. That can be enough for some people. We were born on the west side. We live on the east side. And, and uh, there's been violence and gangs and probably still is in some places around the world where just because they're born on one side of the fence. I remember going to school when I was very young and near one down in Victoria. And, and because I was born out on a farm, lived on a farm, well, I, I got bullied at school simply because I was lived out on a farm. Because they thought, You're, you must be dead. I live 15 <coughs> 15 minutes outside of town and they must have thought, oh, well, you must be totally so different to us because you live 15 minutes out of town on a farm that, you know, yet, and it was kind of, they just didn't want to hang around me or whatever. And so there was, it's, you can find ways to divide people or segregate or separate people. Social media posts on current issues, that's a good one. That will, uh, in our more modern uh, day, it wasn't a problem about 10, 15 years ago, but suddenly in, in Facebook and Instagram, different places, suddenly you can have arguments happen or things happen on Twitter. Uh, I'm not on Twitter, but um, it's, you know, it's just all this stuff about a little issue become, can become a huge, big problem. I, I remember recently saw someone having a huge, big argument with someone because they didn't agree with the long-term weather forecast they decided to put up on there. Like major problem, like really serious issues, and so and they're having a full argument and doing blah blah blah, and I'm thinking this is just crazy. Like we're talking about weather forecasts, you know, and so anything can cause an issue if people wanted to. Gossip caused by jealousy. Gossip is a is like a you know a use. Of, it can be it can divide people, um, hurt people, break people, you know, and and uh, if you you know saying things that aren't part of the solution is gossip. And so, you know, we, all these things and all of us, you've experienced this, all of you could think of something that's, you know, seen people have a fight over something or a family member and maybe they're still not speaking. Maybe there's, you know, a disunity, a disconnection. But today I really want to talk about unity and the power of unity. There's a story, um, also Chuck Swindle says this story, he said there was a bus driver in Australia that used to that drives a bus and and, uh, and on the bus he had some white people and Aboriginal people and all that and every so often there'd be a couple of people that are a white guy and Aboriginal guy they'd have this argument about where to sit and I should be sitting there and you should be sitting there and all this kind of stuff and so after a while after this went on for quite a while he got sick of this and so he stops the bus one day and he stops the bus and turns around and looks at everyone and looks at these two and he said from now on on my bus everyone's green and he said, looks at him and, said, and he looks at the white guy and says, what color are you? And he's like, reluctantly says, green. And he looks at the original guy, what are you? I'm green. And so and he says, everyone's green. So don't stop your fighting, all that kind of stuff. And just sit down and enjoy the trip. No, none more of this. And so he just drives off. And, uh, and about 10 minutes up the road, he hears in the background of the conversation. And one of them goes, well, I'm light green. And the other guy goes, well, well I'm dark green. If you want to find a way, you can. I remember going to um, India many years, over 10 years ago now, and, uh, and one thing always sticks in my mind is uh, we were driving into New Delhi, and just on the outskirts of the city, there was this incredible um, hotel. I think it's called the Imperial Palace. I think it's called. It's a seven-star hotel uh, in New Delhi. And so I can remember this beautiful white walls and building and big gates. And, and obviously, people with a lot of money would stay there. 
expensive cars parked in the driveway as we drove past this huge big place and and we drove past there and I thought gee that's a nice place and then I look just to my right and along this beautiful white uh, high high wall probably four or five stories high at least was this was this white wall on one side of it Against it were families living with bits of wood stacked up against the white wall with tarps over the wood and a fire out the front. Poor, sick, uh, some of them die, you know, just in this almost like a slum against this incredibly uh, beautiful white wall. So literally five metres around the corner was these incredibly rich people that had the means to help these people but didn't. And uh, in a way, that kind of is what India is like because they believe in a caste system where there's three different castes and if you're the highest caste, well, everyone's below you and the, and the one in the middle, the, there's another caste below them and, and if you're the lowest caste, well, then, you know, you're the, usually the poor or the ones that, you know, uh, you're just, that's who you are and, you've, and you can't associate with the next two castes up. And so they treat each other like that and they, and they believe, you know, in... The, in um, reincarnation so it's like oh you're in that caste system because you did something bad in your last life so you that's why you're in this situation and and so to the fact that if someone in a, in a low caste system is dying on the side of the road someone who was a higher caste will not stop and help them and uh, I saw that happening people drive by people that have been hit by cars or injured or whatever but if you were the same it's all right and the thing is this is that is that the amazing thing is that when people in India when they hear about the message of Jesus and they come to know him and when Jesus suddenly says that in my eyes you're all equal Suddenly, that's the most freeing and liberating thing they could ever hear. And so suddenly, when they become Christians and start to follow Jesus, they, see, they suddenly think, well, God thinks that I'm equal with this person. So they don't live as if they're just the lowest of the low. Now they actually look up to other people and they don't look at them the same way. And, this, and suddenly they think, well, I'm not, I'm not below you anymore because God, who is higher than you, says that I am equal to you and I, he loves me just as much as he loves you. And that's why they get persecuted and that's why that the Hindus don't like uh, you know, Christian, Christianity and things because of messing up their caste system, mess up some of their culture and things that they have created through their religious practices. And so, but you know, the most startling thing, you know, you can imagine it, it wouldn't happen in Australia like that, but you can imagine it's like if it's like people with ultra wealthy people are there with the means with just a fraction of their wealth to help everyone on the other side of that fence. But they don't. And so I'm glad though that Jesus isn't like that. I'm glad that Jesus never taught us to live that way and Jesus is totally the opposite to all of those things. He taught, taught us that we should put others first. He, he came and hung out with the, with the lowest of the low. He came and hang out with the sick. He came and hang out with those that were people call sinners or the, or the worst crowd or lived on the west side or the east side. Or the one You don't go to that area. We don't hang out with those people. They're really bad. But Jesus would walk into those areas. And he would also hang out with those that were very wealthy and very rich and was happy to hang out with anybody. And in, often in the same crowd, when they listened to Jesus, you had the, the, you had the poor and the rich and, the, and this and that and all the sick and the healthy and the, the lame and the crippled and everyone who was there was there listening to Jesus because he actually brought people together. He demonstrated how to serve others. 
He demonstrated how to treat others. He told the story about the Good Samaritan, where a guy had been beaten up on the side of the road, and he was a Jewish guy. And, and the first two guys that came across who should have known better, they, one was a high priest and another one was a religious leader, and they looked at him, and they were both Jews, and they looked at him beaten up on the side of the road, and they said, oh, I'm busy. I've got, to, I've got, to, I've got things I ha- somewhere I have to be. I've got to be at a certain place. And so the Bible, Jesus tells a story where he just they went to the other side of the road, and they walked by and didn't help him at all. But then the third guy comes along who's a Samaritan and, and the culture in those days was that Jews didn't associate with Samaritans and, and Jews despised Samaritans. And so he, Jesus was making a very powerful point here and he said the Samaritan looked and stopped and actually picked him up and, and put him on his donkey and carried him to an inn and paid all expenses and all the medical expenses and, and gave extra money. If he needs more help, just leave it with him. And something he was, wasn't expected to do, didn't need to do, but Jesus was making a point that said this is how you treat people. This is how people should be treated. This is what it's like. And he's demonstrating the kingdom of God. He's demonstrating the heart of God. And he's saying, this is what God thinks of people. This is what I would do. This is what God would do. And this is what you should do. And so also we read that you know, he went against the culture of the day. Our culture, which I mentioned before, was, you know, speaking with, say, this, again, the Samaritans and Jews wouldn't speak with Samaritans, but he went to the woman at the well, a powerful encounter, a powerful story in John chapter 4, where he goes and speaks. It. And going and just speaking to a woman one-on-one was, was not in the culture either. And, she, and above that, she was a Samaritan, but out of that, he reveals to her, got the kingdom of God and and starts to speak into her life and as a result she runs back to the village and tells her story and the whole village comes out to meet Jesus and the Bible doesn't give us all the details but for another two days he goes into that village and I'm sure tell some amazing things probably happened simply because Jesus stopped and went against the culture of the day so he showed people he showed us that there's times in our lives where we need to live counterculture. We need to live according, not according to what the flow is going. Sometimes the flow is not going in the right way and some things are not happening the right way. And we've got to stop and we've got to do things God's way. What is God's heart in this situation? What does God want us to do in this situation? God, Jesus doesn't want us to be separated. He wants to bring unity to people. He wants us to reach out to those that are the ones that are feel on the outside and bring them in. He, he wants us to reach out to those that are hurting and broken and and draw them in and and for them to come and meet him and us to reveal his kingdom and his love to other people all around us. There's a powerful scripture in Psalm Psalm, up the whole of Psalm 133. I'm going to read it to you. It's three verses, the whole Psalm, but a powerful three verses. And And the title of it is basically Unity. And it says, the song to bring you higher by King David. It's no, I, I've never sort of read the, sometimes there's titles over certain things. And it's a song to bring you higher. It's not to, the re, to bring the reader higher, but it's a song to bring God higher. So everything we're about to read now, one of the main goals of it is actually to lift God up above everything else. And I'll read it to you. Some of you have probably read this many times. It says, how truly wonderful and delightful to see brothers and sisters living together in sweet unity. It's as precious as the sacred scented oil flowing from the head of the high priest Aaron. That's the anointing oil. 
dripping down upon his beard and running all the way down to the hem of his priestly robes. This heavenly harmony can be compared to the dew dripping down the, uh, from the skies upon Mount Hermon, refreshing the mountain slopes of Israel. From, uh, for from this realm of sweet harmony, God will release his eternal blessing, the promise of life forever. There's three really powerful things to note. It's talking about unity. It's talking about when God's people come together in unity. It's like when we come, every Sunday we come together and, when, and we should come together in unity. We should live our lives through the week in unity. Wherever we see each other, we should meet in unity. And, and there are powerful things happen when we meet in unity. The first thing is that unity releases the anointing of God. That's what it talks about. When it's talking about when the... When the uh, scented oil, the anointing oil they used in, in the temple, flowing from the high priest uh, Aaron, dripping down upon his beard and running all the way down to the hem of his priestly robes. It's talking about the anointing God, the anointing of God. The anointing or the, or the anointing of God or the, is the power of God and it's to bring healing, freedom and, and releases miracles. The anointing is what comes upon people to speak and preach. And anointing becomes, uh, comes upon musicians and singers as they sing. It's the anointing that flows through our services. It's the anointing that, that it comes upon you when you give your life to Jesus. an anointing, which it anoints you to do what God has called you to do. It's the power of God flowing through you. And so when there is increased unity, there is increased anointing. There is increased healing. There is increased freedom. There is increased miracles start to happen. So a sign of unity is when God's power comes and healing takes place and lives get healed and people are getting saved and it's increasing and increasing and increasing. It's a sign that unity is increasing, increasing, increasing. The second thing it talks about is that unity brings refreshing. It talked about the dew falling on the mountains, refreshing the hills of Israel. So when there's unity, it refreshes you. It's like when you walk into a place that's full of unity, you walk into churches full of unity, it should be refreshing. When unity is present, you'll be refreshed when you hang around people of in the, in the same mind, thinking the same way as you, in the same mind, having the heart of God, wanting to worship Him. When you come together and worship and praise in unity, we're here to lift up the name of Jesus. Suddenly there's a refreshing that comes in your life. And I know many people, you walk in here and say, oh, I just walked in this morning and just felt the presence of God and I felt refreshed and I felt alive again. And that's because of unity when we come together to praise and worship. When you... You know, and, you, and that's one of the things, if you don't come together with other people in unity, you miss out. You miss out on that refreshing. You can miss out on seeing miracles. You can miss out on seeing healing. It doesn't mean God can't do it individually, but there's a power, something incredibly powerful to a whole other level happens when we come together in unity as one. There's an increased anointing and power of God is released. That's why church is so powerful. And the third thing is that unity releases eternal blessing, the promise of life forever. So where there's unity, there's eternal blessing, the promise of life forever. Not just blessing just on earth, but it goes forever, eternal blessing. So you could say like this, increased unity among believers equals an increase in God's power, increased refreshing for people, and eternal blessing being released by God. Unity is so powerful. 
There's several examples that I just want to read. There's three different, I guess, short stories that talk about three instances where people were gathered together in unity and these things happened. And the first one is in Luke 9, 10 to 17. And uh, some of you would know it as the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, but I'm just going to read, before we get to that, I'm just going to read a couple of things that happened before. Jesus just sent out his disciples, the 12 disciples, to, to speak and to anointed them and said, Go and you speak in my name and heal the sick. And they came back and they've just arrived back. And it says months later, they went, sometimes we think it's just a few days he sent them out. But uh, this translation, the Passion Translation, said it was months. It was months later. And so they'd been out for a long time. Months later, the apostles returned from their ministry tour and told Jesus all the wonders and miracles they had witnessed. Jesus uh, wanted to be alone with the twelve, probably to chat about what was happening, quietly slipped away with them toward Bethsaida. But the crowd soon found out about it and took off after him. When they caught up with Jesus, he graciously welcomed them all, taught them more about God's kingdom realm and healed all who were sick. When you sort of read that at first, you'll think, oh, it's you know, probably 100 people, a crowd of people were after him. It was thousands of people. As the day wore on, the 12 came to Jesus and told him, it's getting late. You should send the crowds away to the surrounding villages and farms to get something to eat and find shelter for the night. There's nothing to eat here in the middle of nowhere. Jesus responded, you have the food to feed them. They replied, all we have are these five small loaves of bread and two dried fish. Do you really expect us to go and buy food for all these people? There are nearly 5,000 men here with women and children besides. So we're talking about at least probably 10,000 people. He told his disciples, have them all sit down in groups of 50. After everyone was seated, Jesus took the five loaves and two fish and, and gazed in the heavenly realm. He gave thanks for the food. Then in the pres presence of the disciples, he broke off pieces of bread and fish and kept giving more to each disciple to give to the crowd. It was multiplying before their eyes. So everyone ate until they were filled. And afterward, the disciples gathered up the leftovers. It came to exactly 12 baskets full. So there was a group of people here that obviously there was a unity amongst them. They sought as a group of thousands of people, let's go find Jesus. I can imagine the picture that, that there was a whole lot of sick people there. I can imagine they probably carried lame people there, but they walked home. I can imagine they led blind people there, but they walked home themselves seeing. Because it says that Jesus healed all who were sick. In a crowd of 10,000, as it said some, it said all who were sick. So everyone leave, left that day well. Everyone left that day healed. Wouldn't it be good every Sunday? that every, everyone leaves church healed. Because Jesus, Jesus said it's possible. It's possible with unity. It's possible with hunger and expectancy and faith to see that happen. And so they were there listening all day long. That's a miracle in itself. Families are sitting there listening, not just a few thousands of people listening all day. The other reason I know they're in unity, they actually organize themselves in groups of 50. That's a miracle in itself as well. Ever tried to organize 10,000 people in groups of 50? That would be a nightmare. But they did it. They did it together. They worked together as a team. Bit of teamwork, a few, few team building exercises, it all happened. And so 
He taught them all day long, healed everyone who was sick. And then they said, now the crowd didn't ask for this, but the disciples noticed, hey, it's getting late. Everyone's going to be hungry. What are we going to do? And they go to Jesus and Jesus said, well, you feed me and we've got nothing to feed them with. So he says, give me what you have. And he prays for it and it says that multiply before their eyes. And 10,000 out of five loaves and two fish, 10,000 people had more than enough to eat. And they gathered up 12 basketfuls, one for each disciple to carry home each and so an incredible miracle of multiplication happened at the very end of this story so we see as a result of unity when that first point before was that when there's unity there's the anointing flows and so the anointing flows through the teaching the anointing flowed and healing brought was came to every single person there and then miracles happen at the end of those people meeting together because the anointing and power of God flowed because they were together in unity in acts 1 13 to 14 we read this is as Jesus has just gone to heaven And he told them just before they left, he said, go to this place and wait for the Holy Spirit to come. I'm going to send the comforter. I'm going to send the one who's going to fill you with power. Don't go out and and say anything to anyone else yet. Wait for the Holy Spirit to be poured out. And so they go, and it says in Acts 1, 13 to 14, it says, Arriving there, they went into a large second floor room to pray. Those present were Peter, John, Jacob, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, Jacob, the son Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas the son of Jacob, the number of, uh, a number of women including Mary, Jesus' mother, his brothers were all there as well. All of them were united in prayer, gripped with one passion, interceding night and day. That's a powerful picture. There was 120 people in that room. And it says they were all, all of them were united in prayer, gripped with one passion, interceding night and day. Then we go on to, and they go and pray and they, uh, and they bring in another disciple to replace Judas. And then it says in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, was, the day of Pentecost was being fulfilled. This is why they're still in this upper room. All the disciples were gathered in one place. Suddenly they heard the sound of a violent blast of wind rushing into the house from out of the heavenly realm. The roar of the wind was so overpowering, it was all anyone could bear. Then all at once a pillar of fire appeared before their eyes. It separated into tongues of fire that engulfed each one of them. They were all filled and equipped with the Holy Spirit and were inspired to speak in tongues, empowered by the Spirit to speak in languages they had never learned." So we see as a result of being together in unity, suddenly God sends an eternal blessing, which is the Holy Spirit. He sends something that was going to, was sent the Holy Spirit. That's an eternal blessing. It wasn't just a one-off thing. It was forever. The Holy Spirit was sent and filled people in that moment. It was a supernatural event, a supernatural occurrence that happened. All of them were united in prayer, gripped with one passion, interceding night and day. It talks about them expectant, hungry, ready to receive what Jesus had said was coming. However long it took, and it would have, they would have been there a few days. It didn't happen instantly as soon as he left. And so they were just ready to receive what he was about to give. Then the eternal blessing of the Holy Spirit was released, and it filled them. And then you continue to read of what happened after that. And the third one is this, in Acts chapter 4, it says that you know they were Peter and John had just 
Uh, if you remember, they hit a walk in the temple one day in Acts chapter 3, and they, this guy was crippled outside the temple, and, they, and he was begging for money. And they, and they said, silver and gold we don't have, but what we give you, we give you in the name of Jesus, get up. And they take him by the hand, and he's miraculously healed. And he goes jumping and leaping and dancing in the temple, and the, and the, and the uh, Jewish council, the authorities, and the priests didn't like that. And so they said, what, what's, he shouldn't be you know, doing that in church, what, and he shouldn't be healed. This is the Sabbath. What's he, he shouldn't have been healed today, and all this stuff, the religious laws they had. And so they were really mad about it, and so they took, they arrested Peter and John. And because it was late in the day, they threw them into prison. And so they're in prison. And then the next day, they pull them out and they didn't have any evidence really to, re- to keep them uh, arrested or, or charge them or beat them or whatever they were going to do in those days. And, and so they, in the end, they said, they just said, gave him a warning a couple of times, said, look, just don't talk about Jesus anymore. And they kind of laughed at them and said, as if we can't, you know, as if we can't stop talking about it. We just, we can't help it. Whether you say we can't, we just can't help it. It's just in us. It's just flowing out of us. And, you know, not long ago, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, had that experience in that room and they were filled with the fire of God and they just couldn't help it. So, and so they're like, you know, well, they said, well, just don't do it and, and, and go away. And so that's what basically happened. And so they walk off and then we catch up the story right here in Acts chapter 4 verse 23 and 24 it says as soon as they were released from custody Peter and John went to the other believers and explained all that had happened with the high priests and the elders when the believers heard their report they raised their voices in unity and prayed Lord Yahweh you are the Lord of all you created the universe the earth the sky the sea and everything that is in them and verse, go down to verse 29 to 33. It says, they prayed this. So now, Lord, listen to their threats to harm us. Empower us as your servants to speak your word of God freely and courageously. Stretch out your hand of power through us to heal and to move in signs and wonders by the name of your holy son, Jesus. At that moment, the earth shook beneath them, causing the building they were, uh, were in to tremble. Each one of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and they proclaimed the word of God with unrestrained boldness. All the believers were in one mind and heart. Selfishness was not a part of their community. For they shared everything they had with one another. The apostles gave powerful testimonies about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great measures of grace rested upon them all. Now, some of these people, well, probably nearly all of them were in the room when the Holy Spirit was poured out. But it says the Holy Spirit was poured out again on them. In other words, they were refreshed. It's not like a, it's not, the Holy Spirit is, a, is not just the one time you're filled with the Holy Spirit, but there's times where He wants to continue to refresh you because when you pray for people and when you go and reach out to people, it kind of like your tank goes down and unless you get refreshed, you get dry. Who knows what I'm talking about? Sometimes you can walk up, you get tired and you feel spiritually dry. It's because you need to be refreshed. They've just gone, they've been in jail. They'd been, you know, all this stuff had gone on and been in front of accused of all this stuff. And all they'd done is heal, prayed for a guy and, and Jesus healed him. And so suddenly they're in this room together and they, st- they prayed a bold prayer. They prayed a bold prayer and as they prayed it shook. So there was a natural occurrence signifying a supernatural event. It signified that I'm here, I'm here, I'm filling you again. And it says they were filled with unrestrained boldness. In other words, probably even greater boldness than they'd had before. And I love the words that says that all the believers were in one mind and heart. Selfishness was not part of their community. 
That's the church. Selfishness should not be part of our community. Selfishness should not be part of who we are. You know, you know, sin, you know, is is selfish. Sin, you know, will uh, cause someone to be selfish, and, and that and selfishness will then also create disunity. Will separate people, and and because of it's all about me. It's all about me. But Jesus is saying, no, it's not about it's not about you. It's about you serving others. It's about you putting others first. He said, this is how you do it, and that's what he was demonstrating. And he said, if you will put others first. That doesn't mean you don't look after yourself and do other things, but, but it's not all about you. If it becomes all about you, then you segregate yourself, you isolate yourself, and you become a very lonely person. Because selfishness will push you away. So whether you realize or not, selfishness will isolate you from people. Selfishness will cause you to, to, uh, to like get into a dark place. Self- and the more selfish you are, you step out of the light, and you kind of fade away. Selfishness will cause other people to not want to be around you because it becomes the conversation's always about you. The conversation's always about, and it's like it's like you, you get stuck in a dark, it's like you're wandering dark places. But the moment we come to Jesus and say, Jesus, come into my life, help me to follow you, we walk into the light. And it's like then it switches from it's not about me, but it's about how can I help others. How can I, what do you want me to do, Jesus? How do you want me to live for you? And he says, serve others, love others like I did. And the moment you do that, it causes unity to happen. And suddenly, you're, the weaknesses you have, suddenly they're complemented by the strengths of other people. And when you come together in unity, suddenly there's a bond and there's a strength that happens because you're, because you're doing this together. And suddenly you haven't, you're not thinking, well, I've got it all right or it's all my way. No, it's you lay down your, what you think is best and you lay down your ideas. And even though it could be the right, but there could be three or four different things that could be right but you lay lay it down because that one's a better idea and you work together in unity and everyone is built up and everyone is strengthened and, and the church of God grows and God's kingdom increases and so it's powerful to live you know with with serving others and not being selfish so selfishness was not part of their community for they shared everything they had with one another the apostles gave powerful testimonies about the resurrection of the lord jesus and gave and great measures of grace rested upon them all there's a um there's a prayer that jesus prayed such a powerful prayer and uh, and i just want to read part of it to you and uh before we wrap it up today. In John 17, 20 to 26, Jesus prays this prayer. And I want you to listen to these words. He says, I'm praying not only for those, these disciples, but also for all uh, who will ever believe in me through their message. So the disciples are with him. They're around him. And he's praying this. I pray that they will all be one. He starts praying for us. Just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and And may they be in us so that the world will believe you have sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so they may experience such perfect unity that the world would know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. 
A righteous father, the world doesn't know you, but I do. And these disciples know you sent me. I've revealed you to them and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them and I will be in them. So many times he uses the word, I want them to be one. And he's talking about us. Because he's, he's saying when they're one, when there's unity, the world will see Jesus. The world will see who I really am. Because when we are one, when we're in unity, it's like God's love just flows through our hearts and through, through our lives. Whether you, you don't have to make it happen, it would just naturally happen when we're one. You know, and sometimes, you know, it's, it's like sometimes you can be living life and it's like, it's, you've got to, there's times you've just got to lay things down. Sometimes, I just feel the harbour on this point. The, sometimes we, can, we, we know we're right and we can be a mature Christian, but there's times when I know that's the right thing to do and you should do it this way. And there's times when you just got to lay that down and you go, oh, well, I, I know I'm probably right, but, but maybe I need to let this person but let, let, them have, let them do that. Let, let's work together in this. Let's find ways to work together in unity. Let's, I'm going to lay down my ideas, my ways of doing things, and maybe, maybe this is a better way. And it's like as we do that, and it's like we flow together, amazing strength happens, and you actually grow. And I just believe that God wants to remind people today that there's, there's, we're not, we haven't all got it together. We haven't got, we're not strong in every area, but there's people, if you let people get around you and close to you, the weak areas of your life will be strengthened by others if you allow them to. If you allow people into your world and allow people to speak into your life and if you learn to work and flow together with other people, the areas where you find weaknesses or where they may be weak, suddenly that gift of that strength you have, like where, you know, you feel like God's, you know, I need to do more with my life. Well, there's probably people that you just need to get around and get to know and your strengths are going to help those people that are weak in that area and you're going to get such satisfaction of helping others and flowing together in unity and watching them grow that it's going to be the greatest things you're gonna the greatest achievement the greatest joy in your life because what your gift is helping others to know Jesus and you're gonna watch them succeed and grow and so we need to as much as possible flow together in unity and and Jesus this is the last prayer he prayed the last prayer he prayed before he left the last prayer he prayed before he left this world was that we would be one so, you know, usually when you're leaving, you say the most important things last. And so Jesus thought that this is the most important thing I need to say. He told him to wait for Holy Spirit. But the last thing he prayed was that we would be one. He prayed for his disciples and then prayed for everyone who was going to hear the message through them which has gone down from generation to generation to generation all the way to us here today. He wants us to be one. The worship team want to come on up. At the beginning of the story, or the, today when I shared that story about the soldiers that uh, buried their mate outside the fence, you know, the... The priest in that story didn't dig up the body and move it inside his fence. He moved his fence. And
and and I and I just want to throw out a challenge that this year, in, as we walk into 2020, that instead of trying to wait for others to fit in with your life, fit in with your ways of doing things, why don't you move the fence? Why don't we adjust our lives to include others? Because often, too often, we sort of sit back and sort of think, "Oh well, you know, come and come and do what." we're doing or come and do this or you maybe change that or whatever and they could be someone that doesn't know anything about God or you know they you don't know you don't know them very well or whatever but he didn't move the body dig up the body and you wouldn't do that anyway and put it in there he moved the fence so my challenge is to you what fences need to be moved in your life what, adju- what adjustments do you need to make? God wants to enlarge your world. He wants you, to, the only way to do that is you need to move the fence. You need to make some adjustments. You need to just, it's like you, you just have a bit more grace for someone. You know, if every single person here in 2020 just made a decision, there's about 300 people here probably today that made a decision that said, I'm going to include one person, one new person in my world in 2020, just one. We would influence 300 new people. Whether that person is a Christian or not, or whether nothing about God, it would be better to be greater that there were 300 people that never knew Jesus, that all of them came to know Him. But that may mean that you need to move your fence. You may need to make some more room for people. Just one. You might think, oh, I can do more than one. Well, that's great. But just one. One person you can include in your world. And I just feel the Holy Spirit throwing out a challenge to every single person here, from the youngest to the oldest. Time to move a fence. Time to maybe have to change your thinking a little bit change your lifestyle a little bit just include one more person you know I see kids do it so easily my kids just make friends like it's so easy it's like they they'll just go and meet someone new and within about 15 minutes they're best friends like they've known each other for weeks or months and as adults we take about we take weeks or months just to go talk to someone God's saying, don't be like that. I'm all about unity. I'm all about people being one. We carry something on the inside of us. If we know Jesus, we carry something so powerful. His love is so powerful that, that you know, it's something that our world needs. And it will flow from you if you just embrace other people, if you make room for people. Jesus did it all the time. He didn't care what people thought. He got criticized for including certain people in his world, people that were prostitutes, people that were, you know, this person's a tax collector. They ripped people off and they had labeled all these names. And this person was caught in adultery and he included them in their world and, and they, he made room for them. And got criticized by religious people but they would never ever do it because they wouldn't weren't willing to move their fences they'd set up very strong fences of religious leaders and they they'd say that no one's getting in unless you're exactly like us and do exactly what we want then there's no way I'm making room for you but Jesus came in and knocked down their fences and knocked down their walls and blew them apart and said you know this is not the way this is not God's way this is not God's kingdom I'll show you God's kingdom I'll show you what it's like
And so we've got a world that's hurting, a world that's broken, a world that desperately needs Jesus, and they're all in this city. They're in your street. Some may be your neighbours. So why not this year? Move the fence. Move the fence. Move the fence. Adjust your life to include others, to share Jesus in every way possible. Show kindness to people. Show love to people. Just let Jesus flow through you. Thank you for joining us. The Bayside Christian Church community aims to transform our city and beyond with the life and power of Jesus Christ. If you want to know more or just keep in touch, check us out at www.baysidechristianchurch.com.au or follow us on our social media sites at Bayside Christian Church.